please stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to be in the book of Romans today. Um, So we're going to be in chapter 1, and that's page 939 in the Bibles around the room. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David, according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship, to bring about obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This is the reading of God's word. Let's pray, church. Lord, you are God who has power over the grave. You are God who has power to heal our sinful hearts. You are God who has power to satisfy our thirsty souls, and we praise you, Lord. We thank you, because you are worthy, you are mighty, God. I pray you make us strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. Help us to walk with boldness in your love and encourage each other in faith. Help us to hear your gospel with hearts open and ears clear to hear your holy voice. Bless Pastor Kyle today as he leads us through your message, Lord. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Please be seated. And as we sit, let's take a moment of silence, just reflecting that God is about to speak. God, you say that your words are more precious than gold, and we believe that as a church. And so we are eager to hear what you have to say. And so bless us now in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome to Living Stones. Uh, my name is Kyle. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're a guest here, welcome. It's really a great honor to have you here. I know it's, uh, it can be intimidating to walk into a place you don't know, let alone a church. And it's also a big sacrifice for you to give up a Sunday morning. And uh, we are here to worship God. And so grab a Bible and open up to Romans chapter 1 on page 939 in the Bibles we set around the room if you don't have one open already. Before I jump in, 
Um, I know we hear kids screaming like during the time of silence or like right before then there's just like bloody murder going on out there. Nobody's getting slayed out there in the lobby. Uh, but I just want to say like if you're a parent and you're all nervous about kids screaming like because uh, you're like, is that my kid? Um, you're welcome to go and check. We are just, we're happy that as a church we have crying babies because it means that God is blessing our church with new life. And so let's learn how to celebrate this and not just see our children, these little people, these little souls as an inconvenience, all right? So uh, I just want you to know that. I want to say that we uh, really think that God is blessing us with that. So not the screams, but you know, uh, their presence. <laughs> so, um, so Romans, all right, let's do this. Uh, we're just gonna jump right in because I don't have a lot of time and we're going to jump right in. We're going through this series, and that's what we do at this church. We go through books of the Bible, and, and Romans is a key book in the Bible because it contains most of the theology of, of Christianity. And um, really, Romans uh, is a book that's all about getting back to what the Bible says about Jesus and reshaping your whole life around Jesus. And so for that reason, we're calling this series Semper Reformanda. Now, Semper Reformanda was a Latin phrase that became popular in the 1500s as the Protestants challenged the Catholic Church's theology. And the Catholic Church had a theology that you can become right with God or you can be saved by grace plus your good works. But then people started reading the Bible for themselves and they said, actually, it's by grace alone. You are not saved by your goodness and God's grace. You're saved by God's grace and favor alone. You're saved by God's grace alone. The Protestants also challenged the church because they say the, the Catholic church believed that the Catholic church had the same authority as God's word. And the reformers started saying, actually, the Bible has authority over the church. Amen? And then they also challenged them because the Catholics believed that you needed faith, but you also needed to demonstrate goodness through acts of penance and indulgences and stuff. And so they started saying, no, it's grace alone through faith alone under the authority of scripture alone. And so they came up with this phrase called semper reformanda, which means let's get back to what the Bible says always reforming back to what the Bible has to say. And that's really what the book of Romans is all about. It's Paul writing to a church and saying, let's get back to being formed by what the Bible says concerning Jesus. Now, here's what's going on in Rome at the time. Rome uh, was at the time the biggest uh, city in the known world, over a million people, which was quite the feat for the time. This letter was written in about 57-ish uh, AD, and Paul writes this letter to the biggest, the, the church in the biggest city of the world. Now, at the time, letters were very expensive to write because you couldn't just go to Walmart and pick up a notepad and write a letter. Like, to get parchment, you had to, like, kill an animal and then dry out the skin and then get a goose and puck its feather and then make some ink and then dip it in there. Like, it was quite the process to be able to write a letter. And so, letters at the time were very short. The, the average letter was 87 words. But guess how long the book of Romans is? It's over 7,000 words. And in a modern day equivalent of money, it would have cost Paul over $2,000 to write this letter. So it's kind of a big deal. It's kind of a big deal. And he's writing to a church in a very big city. And Rome was a place of busyness, commerce, and pleasure, and politics. Um, it was known for its architectural genius. Like we still go to Rome today to 
visit its architectural genius, right? Um, it had flowing water through the entire city, this, this vast sewer system that supplied fountains and bathhouses and, and bathrooms. Um, it, had, uh, it was very racially and economically diverse. So you had people there who were very powerful and very rich, and then you also had a lot of people who were very poor. And most of the people who lived there were poor, who lived in multi-story apartments with the more poor people living at the top. And um, at some point, the gospel message about Jesus made its way to Rome. Now, perhaps this happened back at Pentecost when some Roman Jews came to Jerusalem and received the Holy Spirit of God. Many people think that they're the ones who took back the message to to Rome, the message of Jesus to Rome, and they started a church. Um, And so the church started in Rome. We're not entirely sure how or what, but we do know that it included both Jews and Greeks. It included Jesus-loving Jews and Greeks. And what had happened is the Jesus-loving Jews started to talk about Jesus with their brothers and sisters who were Jews but didn't believe in Jesus. And arguments kind of arose against them. So in AD 49, the emperor Claudius kicked all the Jews out because they were arguing about a person he called Crestus. They were arguing about Christ. He kicked them all out. And so no more Jews in Rome. And what had happened is the church was then left to the Greeks to lead and run the church. And that went on for five years. And after five years, the Jews were allowed back into Rome. And as you can imagine, the church had become quite different. They didn't sing the same songs. They changed the carpet color, probably. You know, they, uh, they probably dressed differently. Um, Jewish had, uh, the Jewish uh, traditions had many high holidays that they weren't celebrating anymore. It was bad to eat pork in the Jewish tradition. Now, at leader meetings, they're serving bacon. Like, there's a lot of problems that probably happened. And so what happened in the church is there's this division between the Greek Christians and the Jewish Christians. And it's to that context which Paul writes. And his big idea is this, Semper Reformanda. Let's get back to what the Bible says concerning Jesus and let's let that unify us and shape us together for the glory of God. Amen, church? So that's what we want to be. Now, this first section, verses 1 through 17, is just a gospel explosion. Like my head literally might explode today as I'm preaching to you. It's a gospel explosion. And Paul's big idea is this. The gospel is the power of God to all who believe. The gospel is the power of God to all who believe. And he breaks it down into three sections, gospel authority, gospel love, and gospel power. So let's jump into gospel authority. Verse one says this. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set about apart for the gospel of God. So, Paul immediately is writing this letter and he starts out by saying who he is. And the reason why is because he wants to let the church know by what authority he is writing these words. He's not just some dude on the street. He's writing based on the authority, not in himself, but his authority in the gospel message. And the gospel message gives somebody authority because simply what it is. The gospel is life-changing good news. It's life-changing good news. And this happened for Paul. If you notice, he calls himself a servant of Christ Jesus, doesn't he? Now, if you were to look at the original language, more proper translation would be a slave to Christ Jesus. Slave. Now, that's very interesting because Paul used to hate Jesus. Like, he hated him. 
He hated Christians. He would kill them. He would come into church gatherings like this and then just drag people out, arrest them, imprison them, beat them up. He even uh, ordained for some of those Christians to be killed and murdered. He hated them. But one day, as he was on a journey to Damascus where he was going to persecute the church, Jesus intervened and intercepted his mission. And Jesus showed up in brilliance of light and basically said, Paul, you're working for me now. You work for me. I love you. I've called you since before the foundations of the world, and you work for me. Paul was a hardcore dude, and Jesus showed up to him in a hardcore way. And it changed Paul's life. So Paul goes from being a hater of the church to a servant of Jesus and his church. It's pretty crazy. So um, then Paul says that he's set apart as an apostle for the gospel of God. So an apostle is somebody in the, in the Bible, in the New Testament. It's an office that God ordained so that the church could get started. And an apostle was somebody who was directly commissioned by the risen Jesus to share the message of Jesus and to start the church of Jesus and to write scriptures about Jesus. And so there's only like 14 apostles in the New Testament and Paul's one of them. So he says, I'm an apostle. Jesus directly sent me to do this. And then he says, I'm set apart for the gospel of God. I'm for the gospel of God. And so he gets into this word gospel. And gospel is good news. And when Paul was writing this, it was actually a secular term, not a Christian term. It was a term that was used in language of war and in language of courts. So like if we were a village and an a enemy army was coming against us to pillage the village, to take all of our stuff, to, you know, to rape and to murder and to kill all of us, we would be freaking out. But then if our king went ahead of us and fought our enemy and defeated the enemy, he would send an, a messenger back to the village and the messenger would come into the village and say one word gospel. The king has defeated your enemies. You will live. You can have life. Your souls can be set to peace. Gospel. And then it was also language of the courts. Like if you were brought up with charges against you and you were standing before a judge, but all of a sudden your charges were dropped, the judge would look at you and say, well, son, I got some gospel for you. Your charges have been dropped. You can go free. And what Paul is saying is he's saying, my authority comes from the gospel of God. God has sent a king to fight our battles for us. God has sent a king to defeat our enemy, the enemy of Satan, sin, and death. And God has sent his king not only to fight our enemy, but to pay for our charges so that our charges can be dropped in his court, so that you can be forgiven. And what this means for you, if you're a Christian, you don't have to walk with guilt on your shoulders anymore. You don't have to walk with shame because you are no longer in God's eyes declared a sinner. You are in God's eyes declared righteous before him. Jesus became all that we are, all the ugliness that we are, so that we could become all the righteousness that he is. And God declares that over us. And so Paul's saying, I'm writing you on behalf of this message. That's where my authority comes from. Okay, so the gospel gives authority based on what it is, but it also gives authority based on the origin of where it's from. And where is it from, church? From God. Paul says it's the gospel of God. He doesn't say it's the good news of man. He says it's the gospel of God. It's from God. And then he continues in verse two, 
He says, which he promised beforehand through the prophets and the holy scriptures concerning the son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. And so this message comes from God and is about God. And so first of all, Paul says that this message of the gospel is testified in the holy scriptures of the Old Testament. So if you do this, like basically this much of your Bible is Old Testament. It took 1,500 years to write. And what Paul is saying is for 1,500 years, God has been testifying through prophets that he's sending a king to fight our battles. He's been testifying it. He's been promising it. And guess what? In Jesus, it's here. It's here. The good news is here. And then he says it's concerning Jesus. And he says three things about Jesus. He's the son of God. He, he has flesh, and he's the descendant of David. So let's break those down. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is, first of all, the son of God. Now, this was a phrase that, according to the ancient mind, would have been understood as somebody who had the same essence and authority as God. Now, I know for us, when we read son of God, we're like, wait a second, did God, like, get frisky in heaven and, like, have sex with somebody and then have a baby and they call them Jesus? Like, no, that's not what this is saying. This is not saying that God had a child. It's not also saying that God, um, there was a time when Jesus was not. Jesus has always existed. So this is a phrase, son of God, was a phrase that was understood in kingly language because kings would exercise their uh, rule through their sons a lot of the time. And they would represent their kingdoms and their authority through their sons in different areas. And so Jesus is the son of God, meaning this. He's the same essence of God and has the same authority of God because he is God. He's 100% God. But he also is according to the flesh. In other words, he took on flesh. He's God become human. Jesus added to his divinity humanity. And that's really important for us because we always say you can't judge somebody until they live, you live life in their shoes. And you can't really know and identify with somebody until you experience their suffering. Well, guess what? We have a God who has lived in our shoes. Probably sandals. <laughs> he lived in our place. He, 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 he walked in our steps. He lived our ordinary lives. He's 100% God, but he's also 100% human. But then he's also, Paul says, the descendant of David. Now, all the Jews in the church would have understood that, he, that this was a big deal because God had made a promise in the Old Testament that one of King David's descendants was going to be the king of kings whose kingdom would have no end. And Paul says, Jesus is the guy. He's God, he's human, and he's the king of kings and lord of lords. And it says in, the, in verse 4 that this is also testified by the Holy Spirit of God. Look at what it says. And was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Holy Spirit, or the Spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead. So in other words, what Paul is saying is that Jesus is declared to be these things because he resurrected from the dead. And the Spirit says, yep, see, he's God. It's almost like Paul is saying there's this argument going on between humans and God. Like, nuh-uh, Jesus can't be God. He's not king of kings and lord of lords. But then the Holy Spirit says, well, I beg to differ. <laughs> I mean, consider, has any other king risen from the grave? Has any other king conquered the grave? No. In fact, you know where their graves are. And maybe more importantly, you have forgotten where they are. 
But Jesus, he doesn't have a grave because he just borrowed it and then gave it back because he conquered death. Like Jesus is alive and the spirit says because he's alive, he's changed the world. I mean, think about history. All of history just centers and rotates about, around this guy named Jesus. And if you read his life as a normal guy who gets killed on a cross, if that's where it ended, history wouldn't rotate around him. But it's because of his resurrection, he's changed history. And so the Spirit is testifying through history, through Jesus' resurrection, that Jesus is God, he's human, and he's the King of kings and Lord of lords. Which is why Paul says in the next section that he is Jesus Christ, our Lord. He's Jesus, the promised King, our Lord. Now, when, think about that. That's image-heavy language. Because in Rome, if you were walking around Rome, and Rome was in modern day, You'd be walking the streets and there'd be TVs and there'd be money handed out and flyers everywhere and signs and billboards that says, uh, Caesar is Lord. But here, because of the resurrection, Paul is writing to them and saying, for you Christians, Caesar's not Lord. Jesus is Lord. He is Lord of all. His kingdom will have no end. And it's because of that message about God and where this comes from that Paul has the authority to write these things. And then lastly, Paul has authority in the gospel because the gospel is meant to give us grace and to give God glory. The gospel is meant to give us grace and to give God glory. Look at what he says in verse 5. He says, through Jesus, whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations. It says, through Jesus, we have received grace. Now, grace is one of those Christian terms that just kind of gets thrown around and it's used so frequently that I fear we may become numb to its power. Let's think about the definition. We're going to go through this slowly. Think about the definition of what grace is. In Jesus Christ, God has shown us grace and grace is unmerited favor for you. It's approval for you that you could never earn. It's love for you when you are the opposite of lovable. It's kindness towards you when you deserve wrath. It's when someone wants you when you deserve to be forgotten. It's when you're pursued when you should be rejected. You see, grace, church, is the riches of heaven when you deserve the torments of hell. It's a warm hug when you deserve a brutal knockout. It's a forgiving smile when you deserve the cold shoulder. It's God saying to you, I know all about you and I love you anyway. It's God saying, I will rend heaven and earth to be with you because I want you. In fact, I want you so bad I'm willing to die so I don't have to lose you. That's grace. And the world is thirsty for grace. We all are looking for this belonging and sometimes we look for it in other people, we look for it in our jobs, we look for it in success and we're never gonna find it in those places. We must find it in Jesus because in Jesus, the grace of God is made manifest. In him, we realize that God wants us and we can be forgiven and we don't have to do anything. In fact, we can't do anything to earn it. And that's why Paul says in the second part of verse five, he says that through whom we've received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. You see, grace is for the obedience of faith. Not, it's not that you have obedience of faith and then you can have grace. 
You receive grace and then you become obedient to Jesus. And anybody who truly receives grace and understands grace in their heart will want to be obedient to Jesus. Amen? Like nobody who truly understands God's love for you and how he died for you is going to say, well, God died for my sins. Pretty cool, right? Well, I'm going to keep doing all the things that killed him. Nobody does that. When you truly understand grace, it changes your life. And because of that, this gospel message has power because it's truly a life-changing message. And Paul says that um, it changes us. Our obedience of faith leads to the name of Jesus being exalted among all nations or all ethnos, meaning all ethnicities. You see, the end of God giving us grace, why does God give his people grace? So that Jesus could be glorified, that's why. In other words, God gives you grace and he gives me grace and he gives us grace for his name and his fame, not ours. Which is a countercultural concept, isn't it? Like, and think about it for Rome. What was Rome about? You guys have seen the movies. You've seen Gladiator. Like, Rome is all about your glory, your name, your exaltation. But Christ says, I've given you grace for my glory, my name, my exaltation. It's about me. And our culture does the same thing, doesn't it? So it's countercultural, but it's also beautiful because to live for your name is a puny coal to live for. Your name will be forgotten in 100 years. Christ's name won't be. You know, Rome gave a good run at exalting their name. It lasted about 1,000 years. But now, unless we're reading something about Rome, we don't think about Rome. Christ's name will last forever. And so Paul says in verse six, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Like he's saying, all of you, if you believe, are a part of this great story. You've been invited into this great thing. And so therefore he goes and he says in verse seven, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And what he's saying is this, is that this letter about this gospel is for all of you in Rome. Now remember the context. For Greeks, for Jews, for rich, for poor, for all ethnicities, for wise people and foolish people, for smart people and not so smart people. This message is for you all. It's for you all. It, and the gospel is the power of God for all who believe. And Paul says that his purpose in this is that he says grace to you and peace from God. In other words, he's saying, my hope is that when you read these pages, that the grace of God will come and give your anxious hearts peace. That the love of God will give your anxious hearts peace. And look at me, I'm a pastor, I know this because people come and they talk to me about their, their problems. The biggest problem, you know what people come and talk to me about? Is anxiety. The biggest problem. And where do we find a solution for our anxiety? In the love of God. In the love of God. And so this can be medicine to your hearts, to your anxious hearts as we go through this together. So the gospel has authority. Now, this is a, quite the introduction. I could probably just wrap up my sermon right here, right? It's the longest introduction of all of Paul's letters. And the reason being is because Paul is writing to this church to whom he's never met, and he wants them to listen. He says, listen up. I got something really good to say, and I've got authority from somebody greater than I. And that's what he wants for us. He wants for us to listen. Now, just imagine that all of us were soldiers and we're at war. And there's division in this room. There's division in the ranks. And everybody's standing up and like Pastor Gavin's standing up and saying, this is what I believe. And then Pastor Jason's on this side and he's saying, this is what I believe. Everybody's giving their opinions and throwing them out. 
But then somebody runs in the door and runs up stage and says, I have something to say. At first, we might look at them and say, well, who are you? <laughs> like, what's this all about? But if that person said, I have a message from the president concerning this division and this situation, the room would go quiet. Why? Because he would have authority from one who has authority over us all. And that's what this message is. The gospel of Romans is, is a message, or the, the, the book of Romans is, is a message to us from the one who has authority over all of us. And so therefore, we should listen. But it also, there's another side application for those of you who are Christians, and it's this. That as you go and you start sharing this message of Jesus, you might be like, well, I don't know. I feel like a little awkward talking about Jesus. I don't know if I have the authority to speak into their life. Well, here's the truth for you. The authority doesn't come from you. It comes from the gospel. So you do have authority to speak because the gospel gives us authority because it has authority in itself. Okay, so that's gospel authority. Now we're going to go through this next section pretty quick. Gospel love. When you receive the love of God, it expands your heart to love others, especially those who believe. It expands your heart to love others. Now, what I want you to notice as I read this section is all like the endearing language of Paul throughout this section, all the language where he, he shows his heart. Okay, verse eight. He says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayer, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as the rest of the Gentiles." It says, I'm under obligation both to Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. So did you notice all the endearing language in there? First of all, he says, I thank God for you. He hasn't even met these people. And he says, I thank God for you. Why? Because it says that their faith is proclaimed in all the world. Paul has thanks for these people he's never met because they have great faith. Now notice, he says, I thank God for you because of your great faith, not because of your good works. Christianity is not about becoming a great person or be doing a lot of good works. Christianity is about having great faith. About having great faith. And that's what they were known for. And then he also says, in verses 9 and 10, he says, I'm praying for you without ceasing that I may come and visit you. He prayed for them without ceasing? That's a lot of prayer. <laughs> Like, that's a lot. Like, he really wants to be around them. And the reason being is because he understands that in faith, this church that he's never met are also his brothers and sisters. And he wants to be around somebody who's his brothers and sisters. So consider for a moment, like, I, had, uh, I have a friend who's 30, and she was adopted. But in the last year, she just found out that she has a sister, and so she like got all nervous and she's like, okay, I'm going to Facebook her. And she like worked up the courage to like Facebook message her sister. And she did. And then it responded and went well. And then they had a phone conversation and then they FaceTimed. And now she's planning a, t a trip to go and be with her sister because there's something in us that when we find out that we have brothers or sisters, someone else, we want to be with them. And that's what's happening when you become a Christian. When you become a Christian, you see that you're part of this bigger story and you have Christians all over the world that are also worshiping Jesus and you celebrate them and you want to be with them. And that's what's going on. And then he says, I really want to come and help you 
because I want to share my gifts and my faith with you, and I want you to share your gifts and faith with me. See, Paul was an awesome missionary, and this church was in the biggest city in the world, one of the most influential cities in the world, and Paul's like, I'm eager to get there so I can share my gifts with you, but I also want to have you share your gifts with me. He wasn't just proud about it or arrogant. He wanted to be able to mutually encourage each other. And then he says in verses 14, or in, in verse 13, he says, and I want to assure you, brothers, that I haven't been avoiding you. Because there's probably some grumbling going on. Because as far as we know, we're not sure if any apostles have been to the city of Rome yet. And so they're probably like, you know how Christians can get. They can grumble, right? Let's be honest, church. The, the Christians there were probably like, well, we're in Rome and we're like trying to do this on our own and no apostles have visited us. They're just like in Jerusalem and other parts of the world, but they won't visit us. And Paul writes to them and says, no, I really want to be with you. I've actually been trying to do it for a while. I just can't. And he says, the reason I can't is because I'm under obligation to share this message both to Greeks and barbarians and to the wise and to the foolish. And what he's saying in that is this. He's like, I'm like the messenger who when the king won the battle, he sent the messenger back to the village. He's like, I got one job to do. And that's preach the gospel. One job, preach the gospel. And he's like, and guess what? I'm gonna preach the gospel to everybody, Greeks and barbarians. The Greeks had this tendency to say, we're awesome and everybody else is not awesome, so we're gonna call them barbarians. The Jews did the same thing. There was Jews and then what was the opposite? Gentiles. And Paul says, actually, the gospel's for all y'all. And so I'm gonna preach the gospel to everyone because the gospel is for anyone. It's for white people, it's for black people. It's for brown people, it's for yellow people. It's for red people, it's for all sorts of colors of people. It's for rich people, it's for poor people. It's for gangsters, it's for uh, you know, good suburbanites. It's for doctors, it's for prostitutes, it's for police officers. It's for everybody, the gospel is for everybody. Nobody is excluded. It's for children, it's for adults, it's for people on their deathbeds. And it's also for people welcoming newborn infants into their family. It is for everybody. And Paul is saying, because I've received this message, I'm under obligation to share it with everybody. And so should we. So should we. Because what we see in this is that the gospel expands your heart. And I think that this does need to be proclaimed in our churches here today. Especially in light of the events that have been going on over the last week. With all these uh, you know, all this racism going on and these racist rallies and white supremacists and all this, that is satanic evil. Satanic evil. The gospel blows up all of that because it says all of us, no matter what you look like, is a sinner. But you all, no matter what you look like, have been loved by God and Jesus has sent himself for all types of people. And so it's a beautiful thing. And so what we see here is Paul's expanded heart because of the love of God. Now, this happened to me recently um, as I heard a story about a church planter that we support in L.A. He's a, he was a gangster, and his wife was a gangster, too. In fact, his wife's brother was killed in a gang fight by a rival gang. And then these guys became Christians, and now they're planting a church near the area of where they grew up as gangsters and near the area of their rival gang. And when they were getting interviewed to become pastors, his wife shared a story where she said, I am waiting for the man who killed my brother to walk through our doors, to hear the message of grace, to receive forgiveness of God so I can look him in the eyes and say, I forgive you too. I'm waiting for that day. And as I heard that story, I just started weeping. 
Why? I've never, you know, I'd, at the time, I'd never even met these people. It's in a city that I'm like, I don't even know if I care about that city. You know, like, it's in a place like, it's in a place I've never been. But there's something that when you receive the love of God, it expands your love for other people of faith in other places. It expands your heart. And what we're, what we're celebrating in that story is not great works on her behalf. It's great faith, isn't it? And so that's what happens. And, and, and so maybe some of you in this room have hard hearts right now towards people. In fact, I know that you have hard hearts. And you're just walking with the burden and the poison of bitterness in your heart. And the answer isn't you need to try harder to forgive The answer is you need to posture yourself in a better place to receive the love of Christ because when you receive the love of Christ, you will love other people. That's the answer. And so this gospel also has power and that's what Paul gets into in these last verses. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in the righteousness of God, is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So he says, I'm eager to preach this gospel. I'm not ashamed because it's the power of God to those who believe. The gospel is the power of God to all people who believe. He says, first of all, that it is power of God. This word power, as I've said before in other sermons, it, the original language was dynamis, which is where we get the word dynamite. The gospel is the dynamite of God to this broken world. It's the fireworks of God. It's where the display of God's power can be seen. And Paul is acknowledging the dynamic quality of this message, that God's power is at work in his church. We look at the news and we say, God's not at work, but then we come to Sunday and say, oh yes, he is. Because we hear the message of the gospel. It's the power of God. And who's it the power of God? It's to everyone who believes. News is not powerful unless you believe it. Tomorrow is an eclipse. And all the sunglasses, the special sunglasses, are sold out. But if I came up here and said, I have 50 pair of sunglasses that are special, you can look at the sun head on. And you can, like Gavin says, I can conquer the sun tomorrow. Like you can conquer the sun. Like... If I said, I have 50 of those, you guys would mob me after this if you believed that. If I said, aliens are coming, well, of course, that would mean nothing to you if you didn't believe. But if you believed, you would probably lose your mind. (laughs) On a more serious note, if a king really did defeat the enemy and sent a messenger back and said, you can be at peace because the king has won and is victorious, if you choose not to believe, you will continue to be in anxiety. If you choose to believe your heart will be set free and you'll live in celebration. If the judge looks at you and says, your charges have been dropped, you can go free. If you choose not to believe, you will stay in there waiting to be condemned. But if you choose to believe, you will walk away a free person. The gospel is the power of God to those who believe. So what does that mean for us? Believe. You want to experience the power of God? You got to believe. There's no other way. Now it's revealed from faith and for faith, Paul says. It's revealed, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. And what he means by that is righteousness means right standing before God. It's also God's right standing before his justice. God is 100% right. And so in the gospel message, we see the righteousness, the goodness of God, the rightness of God. But we also see how sinners can be declared right before God. Now, 
It takes faith. It says it's revealed from faith. Why does it have to be revealed from faith? Because it's a foolish message, isn't it? Unless you have eyes to see, you won't embrace the message of righteousness. In other words, our message is simple. And the Romans would have mocked it. In fact, they did. Our message is that God loved humans so much that in the midst of our sin, he became one of us. And he entered like a baby in all of the vulnerability. And he didn't grow up as a popular guy exercising his powers. He grew up in obscurity for 30 years. And then he became a carpenter. And then he became a traveling preacher and teacher. And he loved those people who deserved not to be loved. And when he was declared king by his people, the people whom he said he came to save arrested him and killed him on a cross. And they stripped him of all of his clothes and they crucified him at eye level and they ripped out his beard and they punched him in the face and they, and they beat him till he almost died. And he hung there like a wimp. If he was God, he could have got himself off that cross. You see, the Romans mocked the message of Jesus. In fact, some early graffiti shows that the, uh, there was, there's a stick figure of a guy bowing before a cross and then on the cross is a man who has the head of a donkey. And the graffiti says, Alex Menos worships his God. It's a way of mocking him because it's tomfoolery, they believe. But not if you have faith. If you have faith, it's the power of God, isn't it? Because if you have faith, it's not just a, some guy not being able to save himself. It's, it's a guy, it's actually a God willing not to save himself so he could save his people. It's a God who had the power to get off of the cross and chose to stay on the cross. As many have said before, it wasn't nails that held him to the cross. It was his love that kept him there because he was embracing the wrath of God for all who would believe. And it's only through eyes of faith that the cross can become something so beautiful. It's only through that because in the cross we see the humiliation of God. And so it takes faith. It's revealed from faith, but it's also revealed for faith. In other words, that when you gaze at the cross and you think about the person and the humiliation of Jesus more, you will experience more faith. And what does Paul already say about faith? That when we experience this faith in Jesus, we experience the power of God. Now, many of you are wondering, how come I'm not experiencing the power of God? And the reason is, is because your gaze is not on the cross. Your gaze is not on the life of Jesus. Your gaze is not on the resurrection of Jesus. Your gaze is in the wrong place. Many Christians, like I just talked to uh, Nick Valdez after service, and he said, for so long I was thinking, I need to try harder. I need to do better. I need to do this. God needs to show up in all these miraculous ways so I can experience his power. And today, remembered, all I need to do is just think about Jesus. I need to come back. I just need to remember his life, his humiliation, and his victory. Your gaze is in the wrong place. That's why you're not experiencing the power of God. Many of you others are not Christians and you're like, I just want to experience God and I don't know where he is. And you're looking, you know, and you want satisfaction, you want belonging, you want purpose in this life. And so you're looking to your career, your possessions, you're looking to have a comfortable life in suburbia. And guess what? You still won't be satisfied because your gaze is in the wrong place. Your gaze needs to be set to the sun. And the beauty of the gospel is that you can set your gaze on him because his gaze has been set on you for eternity. And when you realize that, it humbles you. And you realize, holy cow, this is the dynamite of God that melts my hard heart. Because it's actually the total opposite of anything this world has to offer. 
How come the gospel message is so powerful? How come today there's billions of people bowing down and worshiping Jesus who was killed on a cross and resurrected? It's such a foolish message. How come that? It's because it's completely otherworldly. The world is about self-glory, but God comes into our world in humiliation and turns our world upside down. And it's actually something that we all want. We know that self-glory leads us nowhere. But somehow, in the blood of Christ coming off of the cross in humiliation, we find the fountain of life. And that's why it's the power of God to all who believe. So do you believe? That's the simple question today. Do you believe? I know you've been a Christian for a long time. Do you believe? I know you might not be a Christian here today, but don't you see that nothing the world has to offer will satisfy your soul? Do you believe? If you believe today, come to your Lord and receive his blessing. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful for your grace. And we just admit that we cannot believe unless you give us eyes to see your son. And we just confess our power-hungry lives. We confess that we look to possessions, careers, comfort of life, relationships, as if they will sustain and satisfy us. But we just declare to you that they will not, but that you will. So help us to embrace you. In your name we pray. Amen.